Fantastic. Thank you so much. What a significant blessing on my life to be able to be here for this time of worship. So, so happy to see all of you as well. And if you're joining us by television or on the internet, we're thrilled that you would worship with us. You know, we live in a society that is obsessed with celebrities. Uh, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not. But you know, people, if you see somebody famous, you're always trying to get close, right? You want to get that selfie or maybe the autograph or just to be able to say, I stood next to. Well, my mother is a big tennis fan. She loves tennis. And, uh, and when I was a kid growing up, we were, we were all the time going to tennis tournaments. So the Federation Cup, the Family Circle Cup, Davis Cup, U.S. Open. And when I was in high school, my parents, my brother and I went to New York City that fall to see the U.S. Open. And we were walking through midtown Manhattan when my mother saw Goran Ivanisevich. Now, I know most of you do not know, but Goran Ivanisevich is a famous tennis player. He's retired at this point. He's Croatian. And uh, we were walking through busy midtown Manhattan, and my mother saw Goran up uh, about a block away. And she said, y'all, it's Goran. And so we were all like, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, there was a big barrier between uh, us and, her, uh, and Goran, which was the distance, right? But my mother was undeterred. So there we are walking on busy Manhattan Avenue, straight up there. There's Goran Ivanisevich, and my mother, in her deep East Tennessee accent, shouts out, Go Rayon down the avenue. And we watched Goran freeze. And then I think he thought, I don't know anybody who calls me Goran. And so he turned and went on his way. So the second barrier to interacting with the famous tennis player was her accent. So that's the way it goes. Well, today we're going to consider what sort of barriers were there for somebody to be able to interact with Jesus when he was walking the earth. For the last couple of weeks, we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark. And in the first cha uh, chapter of Mark, uh, he gives us what he said. Well, it's not really what Jesus' first words were, but he records the first words. The first time we hear Jesus speak in the Gospel of Mark is chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Jesus came preaching about a coming kingdom. We've been in a, on a series called King Jesus, where we are looking at the greatest person who ever lived through the lens of the Gospel of Mark. Now, Jesus didn't just come as a friend of sinners. He didn't just come as a miracle worker, but he came as king. His kingdom has no boundaries, and today we're going to see the power of King Jesus on display of how he has power over the troubles of this world. Last week we were in Mark 4 and we saw uh, where Jesus demonstrated power over nature. They're out on the Sea of Galilee. He speaks to the storm. The raging winds die down. At the beginning of chapter 5, we see the uh, power of King Jesus over demons when he encounters a man who's filled with demons, possessed by demons, he casts the demons out of him. And now where we're going to turn today, we're going to see King Jesus' power over sickness and death. Mark 5.21 has Jesus crossing the sea. And when he arrives at the seashore, there's this crowd that begins to gather there at the shore. And he gets out of the boat, and it's there that he encounters Jairus, who was a leader in the synagogue. And Jairus comes up to him, tells him about his daughter who's on her deathbed. He falls down before him. And he says, Jesus, please, if you will just come, if you will just come and lay hands on her and heal my daughter. 
And it's here we're introduced to a literary device that Mark uses all throughout his gospel. They call it the Markin Sandwich. It involves the combining of two stories together into one. So he brings two stories and kind of smushes them together into this big Mark sandwich. He does it about nine times in the gospel. And, and if you were in Sunday school where they were in the Explore the Bible curriculum this morning, you saw an example of this in Mark chapter 3. So Mark tells us about Jesus meeting Jairus. He finds out about Jairus's daughter's great need, and then all of a sudden the story's interrupted. We're left hanging. So we're going to consider a story interrupted this morning. So turn with me to Mark 5. I'm going to read to you verses 25 through 34. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, and came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So we see a woman who had suffered uh, right here with a condition that human intervention could not cure is helped when she demonstrates faith in King Jesus who has the power to heal. And so what I want to propose to you this morning is that faith unlocks the power of King Jesus, which can bring healing and wholeness. So let's look at this example from Scripture and consider closely her act of faith. And what I want you to notice in verses 25 through uh, 28 here is that there are no barriers to interacting with Jesus. Jairus, who was a leader in the synagogue, he was able to get up close and here is this woman who's destitute, who has a great need, and she's right behind him too. No barrier. It was just one prerequisite. And the prerequisite was faith. So this woman, in this true historical count from the life of Jesus, has this major health concern that ancient medicine cannot solve. She had a bleeding issue uh, that could not be healed. Now, we assume that this is the type of bleeding that would have made her unclean in this ancient Jewish civilization. This is in contrast to Jairus. Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. It's probably an elected position, but she was not even welcome there in the synagogue. Definitely not welcome in the temple because she was declared unclean. She was treated much like a leper. She suffered physically, and now we see she even suffered socially. It created even spiritual barriers in her life because she's cut off from her religious community. And I imagine after 12 years of suffering with this, that over time she even suffered mental issues, psychological uh, struggles. So clearly it was something that she wanted to be freed from. Because Mark tells us she spent everything she had. She went to doctors of all sorts and of all types, 
What can you do? What can you do? She probably traveled to see healers. She did all kinds of things. And she, all her money, that's what she spent on. In fact, she not only suffered from the physical ailment, it looks like the doctors had, in their ancient medicine, had actually done damage because now she's suffering worse is what the scripture says. So you imagine the life of this woman. She had to be, be weak because for 12 years she had been hemorrhaging. She's destitute from spending all of her money on, uh, uh, on cures that didn't work. She's a social outcast. People have probably said unkind things, maybe, maybe unintentionally. But you know, things like, you know, maybe there's sin in your life you need to get rid of. Or maybe if you just had enough faith, this would go away. Or maybe God's trying to teach you a lesson, or whatever it might be. And saying unkind, and she most likely is cut off from her family. So you can imagine she's just brokenhearted from that. How many days do you think this woman went to sleep crying tears and waking up the next morning saying, God, maybe today, please today. I like to think that it was one of those longest nights, sleepless nights, crying yourself to sleep, waking up the next morning when she heard that Jesus has come to town. Look at verse 27. After hearing about Jesus... She came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. And you're thinking, why does she go for the cloak? Is she trying to, sir, sir, sir? Why is she going for the cloak? Well, verse 28 gives us the answer. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. You know, sometimes we get caught up on silly things and we think, well, you know, because, uh, you know, maybe with a celebrity, well, so-and-so touched this, I'll never wash my hands again after I shook his hand, you know. Or maybe you have something, you know, uh, a piece of carpet you're never going to vacuum because he stood right there, you know. Is that what's going on here? Does she think, well, he's holy, so now his cloak is holy. Malachi spoke of the day of the Lord, the prophet Malachi. And he said when the Messiah comes, he proposed that the coming day of the Lord would not only remove the wicked, but would also heal the righteous. He said it this way, Malachi 4.2, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Wings is the Hebrew word kanaf. Well, she was going for his garment, not just for his robe, but for the edge of it, the hem of it. It's the Hebrew word kanaf. That's what she was going for. Like possibly his prayer shawl. That's what she wanted to grab hold of. Do you think that maybe this verse was brought to mind and she was thinking this could be the Lord? And if he has healing, it's right here in the wings, in the kanaf of his garment. If I just touch his garments, I will get well. Well, what's clear to each of us is that the world is not the way it should be. We all know people who need healing. And I'm going to tell you, I've really labored with this this week. Because I know some of you walk in here today. And you want healing. Or you know somebody who's close to you that you've been praying for for a while. And I think, do I really want to preach this right now? We all know people who need healing. Our world needs healing. God designed the world with no sickness. There should be no deformity. There should be no pain. But the snake in the garden changed that. Adam and Eve believing that lie changed that. And so you think, what would it be like for the world to be healed? In Psalm 103, that great psalm, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And in verse 3, it says, Who pardons all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. That's what the Lord does. Well, I believe that in Jesus, it is clear that there is a good God who cares about your brokenness. 
He cares about your emotional and spiritual brokenness, and he cares about your physical brokenness. He wants to heal. We best understand God by looking at the life of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He walked through the villages, and he laid hands on, and he healed. People that were blind all of a sudden could see. People that were paralyzed got up and walked. You know, people that were dead breathed again. That's what King Jesus wants to do. He's a healer. In fact, his power to heal announced that God's work to heal human brokenness had begun. So this woman came to Jesus because she wanted healing. Not only that, she also wanted to be made clean. Because we know that she was considered at risk because she was unclean. In my devotion time, I'm reading through Numbers right now. And in Numbers 19, verse 22, it says, Anything that the unclean person touches shall be unclean. So it's not just that she's unclean, but if she sits down on a chair, the chair's unclean. The clothing that she wears is unclean. If she touches somebody, they become unclean. So here we find this woman walking through a crowd. Just imagine the risk. If I brush up against, they might be unclean. And what's she doing? She's reaching out to touch the cloak of Jesus. Do you get it? She's risking making Jesus unclean. That's what she's doing. Well, I want you to hear me out this morning. You cannot be unclean enough to mess Jesus up. I know some people think, well, I come with all kinds of dirt. I come with all kinds of mess. I come with sin you'd never imagine. You cannot be so unclean that you will make Jesus unclean. I was privileged to camp out with Mr. Roden and Mr. Cameron and the RAs this past weekend. And uh, right before we, my family got to the campsite, it poured the rain. And so we got there, and of course that means mud everywhere. And so whenever we were leaving the campsite, I warmed my three boys. I threatened their lives. Do not let your shoes touch anything in this car but the floorboard. Now, it's not even that my car is unclean. I just don't want, I mean clean, I just don't want the mud everywhere, right? You all know what it's like to walk in somewhere where you're like, I don't even know if I can touch it. I might mess it up, right? Or you just, you look at your kids and you say, you know, you don't even have to say anything. It's just the look. You know, I will destroy you. You know, it's kind of. <laughs> well, Jesus came so he could be touchable not just reachable but touchable today if you are dirty from sin and if you need to be made clean Jesus came to make you whole that's what he does faith in Jesus is enough to make you clean before a holy God so do you have faith enough to reach up and grab on just like the woman there are no barriers to Jesus just a prerequisite of faith so this woman demonstrated faith next we see this release of power and it's here that we see King Jesus has power over sickness and death. So she reaches out to touch his garment. And what does Mark write? Do y'all see it there? Verse 29, immediately. That's how Mark's gospel reads. You read that word in the gospel of Mark more than any other of the gospels, or all of them combined. Because Mark's telling a fast-paced story. He says, Jesus does this, then immediately he goes over here. And then he reaches out and immediately, well, he does it right here. She touches and immediately the blood flow stops. And verse 29 says, she knew from the touch she was healed. And she's thinking, oh man, it's exactly what I wanted. I've got it. She probably thinks the story's over. But Mark puts it there again, verse 30. Immediately, Jesus turns around. Because he senses that the power has transferred it out from him into someone else. So King Jesus has power, and he knew something had happened. 
So he stops and he looks around and he says, who touched my garments? And this is where we understand the um, disciples' relationship with Jesus. Because they kind of get a little sarcastic. And they're like, what do you mean? I mean, uh, you see all these people brushing up against you and you want to know who touched your clothes? Come on, seriously. That's kind of what it's like. And he, but he's concerned about this. And you think, why is he concerned about this? Why does he do this? Is he upset that somebody got healing without asking? Does he only have a certain amount of power and he's trying to divvy it up in a strategic manner? Is he thinking, I've also got to heal Jairus' daughter. Now I'm not going to be able to do that because of what you've done. What's he thinking here? Does Jesus, this is what I want you to hear. Jesus is not a consumable commodity. You cannot deplete his power. His power is limitless. It's not going to run out. We're in one of the greatest seasons of the year. Girl Scout cookie time. <laughs> and y'all know what it's like. And you've all moved into the era where you are trying to ration the cookies because you don't want to run out, right? And you know one visit to the pantry and they're gone. And so what do you do? You start hiding them away, storing them away. You tell your kids they want a cookie and you're like, you have Keebler. Because you're like, your, your, your taste buds are underdeveloped. You will not be able to tell the difference, right? So you're rationing them out. I don't want to run out of cookies. Well, Jesus is not a consumable commodity. We are not going to run out of Jesus. It's not like he only has finite amount of grace or finite amount of power. He is infinite. That means limitless. There are no boundaries on him. There is nothing too big that he says, eh, maybe next week i got to store up. You know, There's nothing so small that he says, eh, I'm waiting for something a little bit more important. Everything is under his purview. God's kingdom has come, and it is boundless. It touches every corner of creation. And his grace is sufficient for every day. It's fresh this morning, my friend. And when you go to sleep tonight and you wake up tomorrow, you can know there is new mercy for tomorrow. And then the next day, the same thing. So you may feel like you ask too much of God. You can't do that. You may think, well, my issue is not as important as, say, Jairus's. I'm not going to do it. That's not how it works. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've got to bring. King Jesus is always at the ready to meet your need. So faith unlocks the power that King Jesus has. And he has power available to each of us. Now, the third thing we see is King Jesus brings healing and wholeness to those in need. So the woman touched Jesus and received her healing. Verse 32 says, And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. Why do you think he does that? I mean, we, we imagine if he knew the power left him, he also knew who received it, right? I mean, he's Jesus. So what's he doing here? Do you think that he's trying to embarrass the woman? You know, you think, she's already had enough attention. She already feels like, don't put her under the microscope right now don't do this can you not just kind of give her a wink and be like i gotcha you know why, why do you have to call attention to her but isn't there something very powerful about the fact that she's not hidden she already feels like a nobody jesus is not willing to let that feeling go unaddressed david garland says he forces the issue so that when she leaves healed she will leave knowing that the one who healed her knows her and cares for her. But like the disciples who were afraid in a storm, and then all of a sudden the storm gets calmed and they're terrified, this woman 
reaches out for healing. She receives it. Now she's called on the carpet and she's scared. Fear and trembling. She falls down before Jesus. And the unclean woman comes clean before Jesus. It was me. It was me. Now, it costs her to go see the doctors, but she also owed a debt to Jesus to publicly acknowledge him as her source of healing. It was you. This is what I had, and you did it. Nobody else, you. And King Jesus is so tender to us when we feel vulnerable. Did you see that in verse 34? And he said to her, daughter. How tender is that? Daughter. Jairus had a daughter who was about to die. He was concerned about her. Well, Jesus has a daughter too. And he says her faith has healed her. It wasn't the magical prayer that she prayed. It wasn't the shawl that was there. It wasn't the fabric. It wasn't just biographical belief in this must be a good teacher. It was faith in Jesus. Garland says faith is something that can be seen like the men digging through a roof to bring their friend to Jesus. It kneels, begs, and reaches out to touch. See, faith is not just intellectual assent. It's not just, well, I know who Jesus is. It is active, and very often it is undignified. That's the way we see faith. Jesus tells a parable about a woman, an an importunate woman, who wants um, justice from an unjust judge. So she goes to receive it. He denies her. You know what she does? She keeps on asking. She starts to bother him. Finally, he says, all right, all right, you can have it. Almost as if you've bothered me so much, I'll just give it to you so you'll leave me alone. And Jesus' point is, this woman went to an unjust judge. We go to a just God with our needs. And we ask, why would we give up in our asking? Why would we relent in asking of God? Because God is always able to give. He's always listening, and he always knows best. So she reached out expecting that Jesus could heal her. Jesus dismisses her here with a blessing of peace, which is the word shalom. The idea is wholeness. That's what she received. It's the same sort of blessing that a priest would give to someone who comes to the temple or to the synagogue who wants to be made clean. And then they're declared clean and they're they're, they're with this declaration of peace, of shalom. In other words, the woman was not required to do the ritual, sacrifices or washings. King Jesus healed her. And then King Jesus as a priest also declares her whole. So King Jesus offers spiritual healing and wholeness every time, but every touch does not bring physical healing. There's not a miracle in every instance. Have you ever cooked something or made something before, built it, painted it, whatever, and the first time you do it, it's great, and then you do it a second time, and you're like, I thought I did the same thing. Why did it turn out so different, right? Well, sometimes I think we think our prayers are like that. And it's like, well, last time I prayed this and I received it. We think there's a magic formula in our prayers. Or we think there's a recipe in our prayers. Or maybe we're just afraid to pray because we think, I don't really know how to do it right. When we pray to God, there is very little error. I mean, very little room for user error. When we pray to God, there's very little room for user error. The scripture is clear that when we come to God with sin, it does put up a barrier. And so maybe there is sin in our heart. Maybe we are living in unconfessed sin, but yet we're just acting with God as if it's not there. He says that will interrupt our prayers. We also come to God sometimes without faith. And that interrupts our prayers. But as we said last week, when we pray, 
The power is in the object of our faith, not the quality of our faith, or even in the words of our prayer. You may go to God with fear or really weak and trembling, a little bit of faith. But the answer to our prayer is dependent on who we're asking, not our ability to will it. Is God able to do it? Then that's what's important. But I know many of you have prayed to God for healing for your own physical ailments. You've prayed for loved ones, and you think, God, Wes, I'm here looking for a miracle. I'm trying to grab hold of the garment, but it's, it's not working, you know. Every touch does not bring physical healing. There's not a miracle in every instance. But I do believe that King Jesus is still in the healing business today. I believe he is. And I believe we're still to ask for it. So how does God heal today? Well, we know he does it through natural processes in our body. Have you ever thought about that? How incredible what God gave you in your body. I mean, biochemically engineering of your body so that when you cut your finger, immediately, as Mark would say, it goes to work. It starts making sure to clot the blood there. It sends in all the chemicals that are going to clear the debris, that's going to start rebuilding the skin. God heals our body. That's what he does there. God also heals through the medical community, through the incredible advancements there. Now, uh, it was years ago, years and years ago, when all of a sudden it was Christians who said, you know what? God makes sense. He's reasonable. He's orderly. So I bet he made the world in an orderly way. So we can study it. And then we can look at the body and we said it probably is going to make sense. And so it was through Christians who developed medical advancements that now we're reaping the benefits today. And it's incredible what can happen in the medical community. God heals us through the medical community. Finally, I believe that God sometimes just miraculously intervenes. And because I believe he does that, I pray for that. I ask God very often to graciously intervene and work a miracle. You know why? That's my responsibility. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to ask. You're supposed to ask. And as spiritual support, we're to pray for one another in that way. The second part of our responsibility is to have faith that God, who we are asking, does hear our prayers, is able to do it, and always does what's best. It's just we don't know what's best. We can't see the way God sees, but we trust him through it. God does not always bring physical healing on earth, but I do believe that for everyone who has faith in King Jesus, he will absolutely bring spiritual healing and wholeness that will ripple over into eternity. It's faith that unlocks the power that King Jesus has to bring healing and wholeness. In the Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, who was an avowed believer in Jesus, he writes this, he says, for it is said in old lore, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so the rightful king could ever be known. No earthly king has ever come with hands that could heal. But King Jesus does. Because he is the rightful king. There is healing in his hands. But let me turn the ship real quick. Jesus does not bring ultimate healing simply out of his power and strength. Let me read to you Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. So it's not just the power to get rid of it. But he heals our souls by suffering. We owe a, gr a great debt to God because of sin in our lives. And the, script, the scriptures say that the debt we owe it for our sin is death. Separation from him forever. 
But our forgiveness, our ultimate healing comes because Jesus received the scourging that we deserved. So today, if you've not received the gift of grace, it's being extended to you. In fact, I believe that God is speaking to your heart right now. And he's saying what you need right now is repentance. What you need right now is to trust me. And so today, if you've never received Jesus, I hope you do that. That you'd say, yes, I believe you. Yes, I receive you. And be called son or daughter of God today. The reality of this world is that we all have a sentence of death on us. We cannot escape death, but we can escape separation from God. King Jesus is not only a healer, he is a savior. Faith unlocks the power of King Jesus to heal your soul and bring you wholeness in an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Our Father in God, we thank you so much that we come before you, all of us, every single one of us, broken and in need. But God, you have more than enough that whatever we might require for our emotional life, for our physical life, and also for our spiritual well-being. God, so I pray that today you'd work in hearts and we might respond and you might change lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If God's speaking to your heart today, I hope you'd respond. It might come, be to come join the church. Maybe to follow believers' baptisms. It may mean that you want to receive Jesus as Savior. Some of you may just have a need for Jesus to heal. Well, I just encourage you just to reach out and grab on and ask him. You stand. As our choir sings, I'll be waiting down front. You respond. Hi, we are Skip and Caroline Carton, and we're really looking forward to the change of the seasons from winter.